Most people have good intentions, but few people practice intentionality. Greetings from the coach's office in Charlotte, North Carolina, and welcome to another edition of Insight on Intentionality. On this podcast, we conduct interviews, we like to answer questions, and then provide insights on the intentional way. On this particular episode, we're featuring our good friend, Chris Van Brocklin. Chris, welcome to the podcast. Thanks very much, Jeff. Thanks for the invitation. You're in Crossville, Tennessee today. You've lived all across America in multiple states. Uh, give our listeners a little background, a little bio information on who Chris Van Brocklin is. <laughs> well, you're right. We've lived in five different states and uh, multiple, multiple different houses. But um, both my wife and I were born in central New York, near Syracuse, New York, and um, we were brought up in Christian homes. And um, both of us actually attended mainline churches throughout our uh, early years, um, and um, and both of us had a similar experience in that we really never had the gospel presented to us. That was a gap in our spiritual growth, for sure. And so <clears throat> when we went to uh, college and uh, started our early um, family, uh, we really weren't attending church, and it wasn't too long before we could feel the the difference and the fact that we didn't have a rock to uh, build our family on. So we began to seek, and um, we returned. Um, at that point, um, we uh, started attending a church that uh, some friends of ours were attending, and it wasn't long before they invited us actually to, <laughs> to a Billy Graham movie called Time to Run. That was back in 1973, and it was there that both of us uh, placed our faith and trust in Jesus Christ once we heard the gospel message. And so we discovered how to be useful for God's purposes quite a bit later than that for myself. It was almost 20 years when I attended a Promise Keepers conference in um, 1992 that I could feel the, the gap between what I uh, believed in and um, and what I needed to do with that. And so I, I started to react and respond to God's purposes following that Promise Keepers conference. So we've been a lot of places and done a lot of things since that point, and um, love to kind of catch you up on what those are perhaps as we talk about the different uh, aspects of discipleship. Well, from Crossville, Tennessee to Charlotte, North Carolina, to insert Billy Graham into your God story is very appropriate. Obviously, his tremendous legacy uh, is passing last year, just sort of his 100th birthday. But there was a prayer meeting. I don't know if you've heard this story before, Chris, but in 1934, Billy Graham's father was living on a farm, and he gathered some uh, local laymen together to just pray that God could touch the world from the city of Charlotte, North Carolina having no clue it would be his son that would receive a special anointing uh, to be able to travel all over the world and probably has reached uh, as many people for Christ as anybody uh, since the days of the Apostle Paul. But uh, that's a great segment of your story uh, to know that he was involved in the crusade evangelism. But as our friend Pat Morley likes to say, evangelism without discipleship is cruel. And so there you were, promise keepers. You're being called out. Uh, into a much more fully devoted life to, to serving Christ. And you've had a tremendous history of uh, being a men's discipleship leader, serving on multiple vocational staffs, 
Are you getting ready to uh, be involved in what I call the Super Bowl of men's conferences, uh, the No Regrets uh, Conference up in Milwaukee, Wisconsin? So, yes, a long history. Let's kind of unpack that a chapter at a time. So let's go back to the PK era. You're sitting there uh, in those early formative years and having a chance to, you know, be drawn to something greater as far as accomplishing something for God. So, so take us back to that PK era and what happened in some of those early years afterwards. Sure. Well, I spent 10 years as a public school teacher, and so I remember during that time getting involved with the church and not only Billy Graham, but men like James Dodson and Howard Hendricks, Chuck Swindoll, and then Andy Stanley, even in the very earliest years when he was a youth leader, listening to them uh, helped me to grow. And um, so after that assignment as a school teacher, um, I spent 15 years actually with International Paper as an outside sales representative, um, both in central New York and then eventually called to uh, Colorado. Uh, in Colorado, of course, that's where I heard about the Promise Keepers Conference and attended that, um, that large stadium event, the first one in Folsom Field. And um, that was that was a... Uh, had a huge impact, obviously, Coach Mack and some of the tremendous um, experiences that take place in a large event like that. And uh, so I left the stadium um, with a, a really actually a longing and perhaps even um, some sadness about the fact that there wouldn't be a lot happening at my local church. Even though it was a great evangelical church, they had no... Huh, as you would love the word, intentionality about reaching men. And so I felt that that was something that I could do. I started to do that, and it wasn't long before um, I was tapped on the shoulder by a couple of Promise Keeper uh, uh, staff members. Uh, one of them was Christian Hawkins in Fort Collins, Colorado, where he was just an area rep. He was a great encouragement, meeting me with coffee and and just uh, an arm around the shoulder to keep in the game and keep on helping the men at the church that I was involved in. Eventually, we began to do some training, and it was Jeff Gorsuch from Promise Keepers who called me one day and asked me to go out in the field with him and begin training the Promise Keepers material. And um, I took him up on that and spent some time and learned a great deal about that. I think more important than that, though, those two men gave me the confidence to step forward and begin to serve in a deeper way. So um, that actually led to um, the National Men's Ministry Director of the EFCA, the Evangelical Free Church of America, based in um, in uh, Minneapolis, Minnesota. Um, I began commuting back and forth from where I was living in Colorado, Fort Collins, Colorado, and uh, began to uh, to work from from that uh, remote location to travel all over the country, uh, meeting a lot of different ministry leaders. And, of course, the early years of the National Coalition of Men's Ministry had a great deal to do with uh, rubbing shoulders with some of the, the men like Patrick Morley and and uh, Steve Sonderman and Phil Downer and, of course, you, Jeff, Jeff Kosiah, and eventually um, being influenced also by Robert Lewis, who I met through National Coalition of Men's Ministry. So... Those are the early years and the beginnings of um, uh, just a, a great opportunity to be able to serve in the way that I have. 
Well, that's a uh, lineup on Mount Rushmore for sure as far as uh, men who have impacted others uh, across America. And uh, just have been uh, a joy to uh, watch from a distance and then to have a chance to uh, lock arms and serve alongside of you. We'll get into that uh, momentarily. My special guest today is Chris Van Brocklin, uh, currently living in Crossville, Tennessee, but having served God in multiple ways all across America, uh, touching many lives, uh, my friend and partner in men's discipleship. We'll be back in just a few moments with The Intentional Way with Coach K. Welcome back to the podcast. Uh, Chris, we were talking about the Mount Rushmore of men's discipleship leaders, uh, promise keepers, uh, the zenith uh, that it created in the 90s and the early 2000s. I had a chance to go to 22 conferences myself. Never had a chance to go to Boulder in those early days, uh, like some of you had a chance to participate with. But I remember they first uh, went nationwide uh, to six cities, and St. Petersburg, Florida was one of those. And I was serving on a church staff, uh, discipling men, and very, very interested in hearing more. Uh, and to go to a stadium with 50,000 men, uh, the singing God's praises, the worship was fantastic, the Howard Hendricks of the world and others that we'd read books of to be able to hear them in person was fantastic. And it's been great to hear that there's a resurgence to bring Promise Keepers back next year in 2020. So we'll look forward to seeing what God will do in and through. I missed the stadium events. There was something unique about those. But you touched on something that, you know, you and I have resonated with over the years, and therefore the title of our ministry, The Intentional Way, one of the common mistakes, as you observed yourself, was the lack of intentionality with churches. Do you go into the national office from a great disciple-making ministry, uh, denomination, the Evangelical Free Church? What were some of your, your experiences in the 90s as you're traveling around, working with churches and leaders that were willing to become more intentional and therefore becoming more effective. In those early days, uh, what were some of those observations you made? Well, I did find that churches were really struggling in the area of men's ministry. And uh, I saw Promise Keepers as a great opportunity to be able to use as a platform at least to make contact with, uh, with pastors and leaders who might be attending. So like you, uh, I traveled the country. And uh, I went to many, many Promise Keepers conferences. I knew the guys well enough there so that they literally would put uh, a slide up on the screen during uh, the lunch break and um, just indicate that I was out there on the front lawn or in a room where I could meet with some of those EFCA leaders. And um, sure enough, they did show up. And as I um, worked with them, uh, there was a tremendous longing I think it was created by the Promise Keepers experience and then recognizing the same thing I did, that when we go back home, what about the other 364 days? And so I began to put together some of the training that I learned through Promise Keepers. I got some help from others. Um, Todd Gunning was also on Promise Keepers staff. I eventually um, brought him on board at the FCA, and together we wrote the materials they began training across the country uh, through the the denominational um, channels, which would be um, uh, district and national conferences and other opportunities to be able to do that. So we did a lot of traveling, uh, did a lot of um, meeting with, with leaders, and uh, it was learning on both sides. 
After your tenure uh, at the EFCA home office in Minneapolis, uh, you went through a period where you launched your own ministry, and then we got strategically involved uh, when you joined our team at Man in the Mirror. Obviously, that was another uh, parallel ministry. I've shared with people over the years that uh, Promise Keepers and others did a fantastic job of the catalytic events, and then uh, Man in the Mirror and now No Regrets, uh, they've come along to provide resources, materials to complement uh, those catalytic events. What's unique about No Regrets, we'll talk about them in a little bit, uh, is that they do both. Uh, provide that annual catalytic event uh, using the modern-day simulcast, but then also providing the resources on that front. But talk about those uh, relocation days, and then uh, we were together at an Iron Sharpens Iron conference in Charleston, South Carolina, and uh, that was my really first occasion to sit up under your seminar teaching. Uh, excellent presentation on that day. You're always an articulate speaker. And uh, But from that particular day in Charleston, you know, we went from being just a friend uh, to ministry allies and had enjoyed a, a lengthy tenure uh, since then. So, so talk to us about uh, moving from the denominational uh, front uh, more to the front lines and the battle for men's souls and other realms. Well, after that uh, 10 years with the EFCA, uh, I founded a ministry called Men with a Purpose. And, um, again, it... Uh, capitalized on that Promise Keepers training material, but I was beginning to become influenced by those that I was meeting at the National Coalition of Ministry to Men. Uh, the great platform that the Iron Sharpens Iron conferences provided as uh, seminar speakers and trainers there. And then, of course, uh, the Man in the Mirror materials were beginning to come out. They were beginning to do training, and uh, I signed on with them to be a volunteer to do training across the country as well. And so probably some of the same pathways that you took as well. Um, we took uh, our written training materials and I would say merged them with some of the other things that we were learning. Uh, eventually, um, as we were building the National Coalition of Ministry to Men, we had an opportunity to meet with Dr. James Dobson in Colorado Springs and begin to deliver in a little bit different way through the radio waves um, some of the additional trainings and opportunities that the NCMM was bringing to the scene. And so as Man in the Mirror developed even further, they began uh, developing their network team across the country. And uh, when we, um, at that point, had actually moved from Colorado to the Baltimore, Maryland area, uh, I signed on with Man in the Mirror as the Baltimore area director of discipleship. And that, of course, is where you and I, Jeff, uh, even though we had met in South Carolina years before, began this um, much closer partnership, both of us working under the banner of Man in the Mirror and then being able to compare notes and being able to encourage one another and train one another in that capacity as well. Uh, Norm Van Brocklin, we talked about that connection in your family lineage. Tell us about uh, how he relates to your family. Oh, sure. Yeah, actually, it's kind of a humorous story because um, I always say if I'm up in the northern, uh, north-central part of the country, uh, I brag about the fact that we must be related somehow. I don't, we're not, that I know of. Probably goes way back to the trunk of that um, that family tree. But um, but uh, I get a good response that way. But if I'm down in the south, if I'm in the Atlanta area or anything like that, and I mention the fact that I'm connected with Norma Van Brocklin, I... I 
I don't uh, I don't brag about that at all. And the reason, of course, is he had a very fiery temper, uh, probably a pretty foul mouth as well, and uh, that played fairly well, actually, in the upper Midwest, but it didn't play well at all in the Atlanta area, and they didn't like him very much. So um, the answer to your question is I know of no direct line that were connected, but I certainly enjoy fooling around with that when I'm traveling the country. All you trivia buffs out there, now you're in the loop as I was, uh, thinking that, you know, that's such an unusual name that maybe there is a direct connection, but no, nothing that we're officially aware of. But, yeah, he was a great quarterback for the Philadelphia Eagles in his playing days, but then his coaching days of the Falcons, uh, kind of a story of two men. But, you know, that's kind of like the type of guy we're trying to reach, right? He may find himself successful in his career, but he's not on that pathway to biblical manhood. And that's something you've been challenging churches for, for for many, many years. Well, let's fast forward to Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And uh, the Lord uh, took you out of Baltimore uh, to Milwaukee, and you began to serve as one of uh, Steve Sonderman's uh, lieutenants. Uh, talk to us about that connection and no regrets, and then we'll talk about the conferences coming up. Okay. Yeah, I had known Steve Sonderman for years. Um, actually, it was the very first uh, NCMM gathering when it was formed uh, he happened to be on the on the guest list for that and uh, the two of us uh, hit it off and just uh, we worked together uh, on and off um, uh, in, uh, in training and different ways um, I traveled up to the Milwaukee area to his church to train and he came uh, to several events where I invited him for the EFCA and um, he actually called me uh, the beginning of uh, well, I guess it was the end of 2016, and he had an interesting uh, opportunity. This No Regrets conference at the church had started uh, nearly 25 years before. Uh, it had grown and grown through the years until uh, they began selling out um, their tickets, 4,000 tickets at the Elmbrook uh, Church. And uh, so they began using the newer technology to be able to video broadcast that through the Internet to uh, remote host sites around, really right around Milwaukee. Well, that grew too. And uh, when I got there, there were around 75 remote host sites all over the upper Midwest, a couple uh, in other parts of the country. And um, what they were looking for was to expand that and to see what God would do if they really concentrated on uh, expanding that host site footprint. Um, there's also a great follow-up curriculum that Steve actually wrote a book, How to Build a Life-Changing Men's Ministry, that I had read years ago. And uh, it was based on his experience using the No Regrets study series that he had created. It's a, basically a deep-dive type of a study series, eight books, eight lessons in each book, um, accountability, um, homework, uh, just great, great um opportunity to be able to grow and build your muscle as a uh, as a believer. And so <clears throat> I also was in charge while I was there of just organizing that a little bit better. We actually outsourced that so that uh, we didn't have to be actually packing boxes up and sending them all over the country. Um, uh, indeed, it actually that curriculum is being used all over the world, and so that was uh, kind of a drag to be a shipping organization. And just some things that I could do to um, 
organize it in a, in a little bit more streamlined way, which over a three-year period in Milwaukee area, working with Steve and his team, we got it to the point where we feel that it's uh, clicking along uh, fairly efficiently. And uh, I've hung on, actually, to continue to uh, recruit the host site uh, list every year. And I really enjoy that part and uh, working with leaders, even if it's over the phone or in person talking with them about the impact of this uh, this great conference. Our guest today is Chris Van Brocklin. We'll rejoin you momentarily on The Intentional Way with Coach K. Well, Chris, we're just uh, here on the uh, eve of uh, this year's conference. Uh, I always love hearing the history of how Steve himself uh, and delegations from the Midwest had gone to Boulder in the early days of PK, but we're looking for something to recapture some momentum. And so they chose February, uh, happens to be uh, Super Bowl weekend, uh, opposite of the typical summertime gathering uh, out in uh, the Colorado area, again, from the early days of Promise Keepers. But I just really admire this simulcast concept. Instead of just hosting it live for those 4,000 guys, which is phenomenal, I've been there. That is the Super Bowl of men's conferences. But to use the technology that's available to us and to see that duplicated, I've traveled the country. I've been in some of those settings. I've had a chance to, to uh, see God use those simulcasts. It's just tremendous the way you guys are, are, are seeing uh, God advance his kingdom uh, through that modern-day format. Let's talk about this particular year's conference. Uh, tell us about some of the keynote speakers coming on board and then uh, pick back up with uh, where we are with our simulcast this year, a percentage of returning sites, and then some of the newer sites that I've been noticing have been signing up recently. Sure. You know, uh, Elbrook seats those 4,000 men, but there are also 10,000 or so men at those 120 remote host sites now. Uh, that's the number this year. It's actually 119. Um, I believe uh, there are uh, 79 of those are returning, and the remainder, like 31 or whatever, however that works out, uh, are new. So every year we see new, and we love that. Uh, it's a single-day conference. So it runs from 8.30 until 4 o'clock on that uh, first Saturday in February each year. And there are two main platform sessions, uh, the opening session and closing session, including worship and uh, a message. And this year's speakers uh, are Rod Hairston, uh, Stuart Briscoe, Brian Loretz, Dan Seaborn, and then Steve Sonderman. Um, in, the, in the past, we've had people like Jeff Messiah and Crawford Loretz, Stu Weber, Eric Mason, uh, just a, a, a plethora of some of the very best of the, of the speakers for those platform uh, events. Uh, not only those two um, platform sessions, but there's also multiple, multiple work, uh, workshops and training sessions uh, in between. We call them breakout sessions. Now, at Elmbrook, they have as many as 40 breakout sessions. Uh, we record one of those so that a church can actually pipe in two channels to be able to watch not only the main session platform going on all day long, but they can also pipe in an extra breakout session if they want. And then they can also have their own live breakout sessions if they've got classrooms and things and people that they could um, recruit to speak. So not only uh, Elmbrook being a very exciting place, but these host sites are growing to the point where they're doing their own live worship. 
they're having breakout sessions of their own, and they're attracting more and more men every year. So it's it's becoming used, I believe, by God in a special way. And let me just let me just talk about that for a second because it's a little bit it could be a little bit misunderstood or, or overlooked. Back in the PK days and the iron sharpens iron days and other days that uh, even today, I think the things that we're used to is the fact that we have to get in a car and go somewhere for these kinds of conferences. I call them regional conferences. Some of them are actually national conferences. That's all well and good, but as a leader, I've observed that churches are not uh, as excited about it as some of the men are. And one of the reasons I believe that that's true is that it's very difficult to to get a man to get into a vehicle or whatever and travel a distance to go to something like this. Uh, he's got his, all of the responsibilities. He's got a schedule, and it's expensive. And so normally uh, the average church only sends a handful of guys each year. Maybe the first year it's pretty big, but it begins to dwindle pretty quickly. Even in the PK days, it dwindled, so there were only a handful of guys from each individual church attending. So that's one thing that, that keeps a church from promoting it heavily because it's beginning to only reach just a very handful of, of, of their congregation. But the second thing, and maybe even more important, is it is very difficult to connect whatever it is a church is doing, their programs, their trainings, their, their thing, the things that they have for their congregation with a, a remote event. Uh, unless they really partner with that location and help to figure out how to connect their men, that whole idea of follow-up the other 364 days is is dropped. And so as good as those days were with those conferences, those regional conferences, it was always a struggle for local church. This new technology of using the Internet and streaming it into locations makes it so the church can have their own event. And so it negates those two problems. Uh, first of all, uh, men are very willing to come to their own local church and not have to get into, let's say, a car or bus or a train or a plane to go to a regional conference. They'll come to their church and go to a conference. So you see a much larger percentage of men from the congregation attending the Guts conferences. And then I think, again, very importantly, the church then has the opportunity, because it's their conference in their location, to very easily or more easily connect their men to the ongoing discipleship process that the church already has established. It's a, it's a much easier gap to, to overcome and fill. So I think that those are the two reasons why every church, literally, can be a host site. And I actually advocate that to recruit your own men and make that your priority. And so literally you could have host sites, multiple host sites in, in uh, an area of a country, of, of the country, and be able to make it available so that the men can attend and not make it necessarily a regional conference because you're creating the same thing that we already had before. So I'm very, I feel very strongly, obviously, Jeff, about the, the, the potential of the future of using this kind of technology to do what I believe we both learned with Man in the Mirror, and that is to reach every man. 
I totally endorse uh, what Chris has been sharing with you listeners today. We'll include the uh, websites for you to be able to follow up and get more information if you'd like to be a, a host site uh, in the future uh, for this annual gathering. Uh, Chris, I was in the state of Montana, uh, obviously a large uh, state geographically, and uh, I was over in eastern Montana uh, where a host site uh, has about 25 guys, a small community. That's a large, that'd be a 250 attended uh, event somewhere else. And then I was on the other side of the state for a single-day conference. Well, those guys that were meeting in one side of the state could not come to that large single-day conference. But that simulcast allowed them for Kingdom Networking, good follow-up. They've been uh, with you guys for a number of years now. So those are examples. I just totally endorse that. And going back to my tenure as a men's pastor, I, too, experienced uh, that situation you described. I tell people that we should take uh, busloads to Promise Keepers, then I started taking van loads to Promise Keepers. And then for those last few conferences uh, over a 15-year period, we were taking carloads of guys. And so time is a modern-day currency. Uh, a lot of men's retreats, I'm seeing a trend towards having things uh, on site on a Friday night and a Saturday morning, giving guys two options. They can still uh, coach their kids in youth sports or be involved in some caregiving role. Uh, the ability to take guys off with it be a a single church uh, annual men's retreat, or to go away to a conference. Uh, that certainly uh, to see this portable offering, and I just love that scenario. Not so much, yes, it's just great that these national speakers can be piped in, very economically, by the way, to that host site. But uh, during the uh, lunch break, uh, during the uh, break times, uh, some of that iron sharpening and kingdom networking is some of the most uh, important things of all. So, again, we'll provide you with some websites where you can follow up and gain more information. Chris Van Brocklin is my guest today on the podcast. Uh, we'll rejoin you momentarily for our last segment today. Welcome back to the podcast. It's been a thrill to have my good friend and partner in ministry, uh, Chris Van Brocklin, with us today. Uh, no relation that we're aware of to Norm Van Brocklin for you uh football trivia buffs, but Chris, let's kind of unpack your manhood as we uh, round third and, and head home. Uh, you mentioned earlier uh, about being a native of New York, and so you and I have fun back and forth. Man, you're a Syracuse Orangeman. You know, uh, they gave us a great game this year in Death Valley, South Carolina. We survived with a backup quarterback and then going to win the national championship, so we'll have to come back to the Carrier Dome next year and and see what happens. So we always have some fun on the uh, Syracuse-Clemson uh, uh, football rivalries. But let's talk about uh, some bullet point answers here. What's your favorite classic car? Uh, <clears throat> I don't know whether this counts, but uh, my first, well, it's not my first car. It actually was my second car. But my second car was an MGB um, with a convertible top and cherry red and four-speed on the floor, and um, dual carbs. And I really enjoyed driving that around. Uh, unfortunately, I was in upstate New York at the time, and I was in college, and I was driving down one of the campus roads in the middle of a big snowstorm with about a foot of snow, probably uh, bottomed out uh, with a little car like that, and I had a van turn out from a parking space and turn right into the side of that car and total it. So I was unhurt, but my feelings were hurt because that was my favorite car of all. Wow, that's a great memory. 
Obviously, uh, I'm aware that you love the outdoors. Uh, tell our listeners today about some of your hobbies and interests. I really have enjoyed the outdoors for years. Um, I've hunted and fished uh, in New York State where I grew up, a great place to hunt in central New York. I uh, moved out to Colorado, and I spent uh, many years hunting elk uh, with a bow and uh, fishing for very large trout uh, out of a float tube. And uh, I've tried to do the same thing even when I was in Maryland, in the Baltimore area, and found some interesting uh, opportunities there. I'm really enjoying it. Uh, we moved to Tennessee this past May, and uh, I'm really enjoying exploring the area here. I got an opportunity to go out already and do quite a bit of uh, deer hunting, and uh, we actually live on a lake here, so the fishing is beginning to the fishing opportunities are a little bit closer at hand, and I'm enjoying exploring that as well. How about a favorite adventure movie of all time? You know, I'm not a big movie buff. I'll tell you a, a couple of movies that had huge impact on me. Actually, one was more of a television series. Um, it was Centennial by Michener. Uh He actually wrote the book, um, and uh, then they uh, made that into a television series. That had such an, a great impact on me, seeing the way that the, the state of Colorado had developed uh, from the very earliest uh, um, years until modern times. And then when the movie, um, uh, the, I mean, the, the television series uh, came out, uh, I just, I would, <laughs> I don't know how many times I actually watched it, but I watched it several times. And then Dances with Wolves came out, and that was enough to really, influenced me when we made the decision to move to a different part of the country, and we ended up, uh, sure enough, out there in uh, the area that both of those scenarios took place out in the, out in the west on the front uh, range of Colorado. So, Great stuff. Well, you've obviously spent uh, a lot of time at the Rocky Mountain National Park. Uh, I have a strong affinity for Glacier National Park. Uh, in your future travels, because you guys enjoy camping as well, are there some national parks that you'd like to get to eventually? Well, yeah. You know, we are uh, just at the very beginning stages of planning a trip to Alaska. Alaska, actually, after all of the travels that I've done through ministry, is the remaining state for me to place my foot in. I've been to all 49 states and have not been in Alaska. Wow. So we have uh, some discretionary time now, and we're planning on traveling up there and being able to see the, the sites up there. What was unique about my one trip to Alaska uh, is that you can see it from five vantage points. Uh, you can see it on foot as you hike, you know, to some of the glaciers. Uh, you can see it by car. Uh, you can see it by rail. Uh, you can see it by boat. And then my last day there, our host, uh, one of the uh, members of the team, Man in the Mirror, uh, he had a, uh, a partner in ministry that owned a, uh, a seaplane, and he took us up to a, a pass that was very, very uh, difficult. Only a couple times a year where the weather forecast even allow that. And so we were going to go a different direction, but he said, hey, we struck gold. God's given us a good uh, weather report today, so I think it was called Clark's Pass. And so that was the gorgeous view up front and close and personal with some of those glaciers. And so I'll just, uh, you being the outdoorsman that you are, you'll certainly really, really enjoy Alaska as God allows you to get there. So we'll be excited about that. Well, as we wrap right. things up today, I always uh, like to give folks a chance who are kind of getting to uh, 
you know, walk the car lot, raise the hood, uh, you know, kick the tires as far as the intentional way. You were with us in Chattanooga recently. Our theme for this year is advancing the battle. So maybe a listener who's joining us today and enjoying this conversation with you and hearing about your history and men's discipleship, uh, what would you share with them if they were to invite us to come to their church or their men's group? Uh, what are some experiences we've had together that you'd pass along for reference? I really just enjoyed the training opportunities that we've had. Um, the most important thing I think that we have, the greatest opportunity God's given us, is to be able to train up the leaders who are who are hungry in local churches all over North America. And uh, so over the years, we've actually seen quite a bit uh, of training and um, quite a bit of growth in the area that churches have had. I'm encouraged by the way that uh, churches continue to respond to all of these opportunities, and I look forward to the next chapters that uh, God presents to us. And so uh, if this uh, Promise Keepers uh, new initiative comes about, I think that uh, not only the church will profit, but I think uh, men uh, will will perhaps have a, a new day that will um, that will motivate uh, continued um, uh, results. And one of the things I appreciated about your recent uh, travels from Crossville to Chattanooga, uh, after we had spoken that evening to uh, challenge pastors and leaders of men in that region, uh, you yourself uh, told me you're going to plant your stakes uh, in your new area of Crossville and uh, to really uh, monitor and mentor a leadership team in that local church. I was just so uh, impacted, you know, by your willingness at this stage of your life, uh, you've been across America, uh, you've been with, uh, you know, leaders of men, and now to see at this chapter, God can work in and through you with all your expertise and all your experience. And so that was an encouragement to me to know that you're still looking for, you know, new stakes to put into the ground, and I concur with what you're doing there in Crossville. I look forward to seeing you. We'll be back in Chattanooga in the month of March at the Iron Sharpens Iron Conference, and I think you're going to be bringing a, a leadership team down there. What about those that may be listening uh, in the uh, East Tennessee region that might could join us uh, on that march? Uh, give us a, a prelude of the conference and, and what they might find that day. Well, yeah, I think this is another opportunity, once again, as a regional conference, but there's still great value in going to a regional conference because not only will you have the great camaraderie with other men and be able to worship uh, our Lord Jesus Christ, but... I think that this could be a place where you would rub shoulders with somebody like I did back in the days of Promise Keepers who would be great encouragements. The the, um, the guys I ran into in these kinds of events were the guys lots of times that I learned from and then grew from meeting them, the Jeff Gorsuches of the world and the Christian Hawkins of the world. Wouldn't it be great to have a buddy that you could meet with on a regular basis to encourage you Perhaps not just in ministry, but also just in your growth, in your marriage, uh, in in your um, your slugging it out in the workplace. Um, those are the places that uh, you need another man, and so this is a place, a great place, to make those connections. Hope uh, hope to see you there. Well, Chris, again, just uh, thankful to God for letting uh, us cross paths together uh, to minister together, and you've always been a uh, a loyal friend and a key ministry ally, 
And it's been an honor to have you on the podcast today. Any final remarks that you'd like to make to our listening audience? I really appreciate it, Jeff. You know, you just touched on some of the things that I look forward to in the future. I'm really enjoying relaxing days with my wife, Shelly. We've been married for 49 years in April. And um, we're looking forward to more visits to children and grandchildren whenever possible all up and down the East Coast. But investing in men at Central Baptist Church here in Crossville is my target at the moment, and I'm looking forward to what God has in store over the next few months in that regard. And then helping Steve Sonderman with his team to recruit more and more host sites for the national uh, for the No Regrets uh, Conference. And we also have a, a leadership conference in May. On May 4th, we'll be having a Refuel Leadership Summit that's taking place at Elmbrook, and then we'll be broadcasting that also over the Internet to different regional sites. So those uh, those things will keep me busy, and I uh, hope that as we continue in ministry, we'll be able to continue to cross paths on a regular basis. Jeff, thanks so much for the, the call today. Well, again, for you listeners, we'll give you uh, uh, web addresses uh, about the men's conference in February, uh, the leaders' conference in May, and you can certainly take advantage of these and other opportunities and that reminds us of Ephesians 5.16 to make the most of every opportunity. So remember this, most people have good intentions, but few people practice intentionality. We'll look forward to catching you next time on the podcast Insights from Intentionality. This is Coach K. We'll look forward to seeing you again soon.